0: Scripture this morning is going to be from Genesis chapter 27, 1 through 13. And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, so that he could not see, he called Esau, his eldest son, and said unto him, My son, and he said unto him, Behold, here I am. And he said, Behold now, I am old, and I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapon, thy quiver and bow, and go out in the field, and take Uh, some venison and make me some savory meat such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat that my soul may bless thee before I die and Rebekah when she heard when Isaac spake to Esau his son and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison to bring it Rebekah spake unto Jacob her son saying behold I heard thy father speak unto Esau thy brother saying bring me Venison that I may make me savory meat, that I may eat, and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock and fetch me from thence two uh, good kids of goats, and I will make them a savory meat for thy father, such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father, that he may eat, and that he may bless thee before his death. And Jacob said unto Rebekah his mother, Behold, Esau my brother is a hairy man, and I am smooth man. My father preadventure will feel me, and I shall seem to him a deceiver, and I shall bring a curse upon me, and not a blessing. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice, and go fetch me them."
1: Thank you, Rob. I am uh, so blessed by the... I know it was a little bit of out of the ordinary. The, the, the Bible text was kind of long. I was teasing him back there, giving him a hard time. But uh, I, I think it was very important for us to know the whole context. Whenever we study Scripture, it's very important and essential for us to, to look at Scripture as a whole. So good to be with you all this morning. Just delighted, and um, just my heart is so full and so happy to be here with you all. Uh, I see some familiar faces and I see some new ones, also in the audience, which which is it, it warms my heart. It's so good to see those, and I I hope that you all had a real beautiful week. I know that some of us are tired. Some of us are a little bit stressed about what went over the week, but we had a good time. And so I am am glad that we are here now to see what the Lord has to for us this morning. So without further ado, let's go ahead and pray and seek the Lord's blessing. Our Father in heaven, we are just delighted this morning to be in your presence And so, Lord, this morning, we just ask that you will continue to be with us. I know that you have brought us here this morning. You have a purpose for our lives. And so we just ask, Lord, that that purpose may be realized and that we may encounter you this morning. That is our prayer. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In an analysis of the first names, 325 million babies born between 1880 and 2007, parents have increasingly given their children less common names, suggesting a growing interest in the uniqueness and individualism. According to the Social Security Administration, common names have decreased, becoming steadily less popular. Nowadays, it is more common if your child has a unique name, whereas before, many have felt, would have felt bad if the kid was born with a unique name versus a familiar name. Culture has shifted. Psychologically, uh, in a research that was done, indicates that our names may also be the cues that shape us, not only us and the, per- the perceptions that people have about us, but also our personality and perhaps the choices about where we choose to live and also where we choose to do for a living. But no matter the name that was given to us as a child, of course, I was giving Edwin. Um, but we tend to recognize that though they are, we are unique and our children, they have uniqueness, they have personalities, they all have their own choices. They are all part of a larger family tree, and that is true of you. Families are like branches on a tree. We grow in different directions, and yet our root remains as one. But before we get too ahead of ourselves this morning, let's revisit what we've been. Uh, looking at these couple of weeks, we are in a series, currently we are in a series entitled In Rhythm and Practice, a short series about the need to realign our hearts in the presence of Jesus. Through the studying of Scripture, we have learned that you and I are not primarily rational beings. No. To a person, we are not to be just rational beings but we are actually not a thinker first but a lover first someone who has a heart someone who has a desire someone who longs for things so in order for us to flourish in the world to be the designers that we were built we were created to be to build a house on the rock we are not only need to have the right Thoughts, what we pay attention to, who are we becoming, but we need to have healthy rhythms and practices that imitate the patterns and the habits of Jesus. Rhythms and practices that are rooted in the work of the Holy Spirit and they shape us and change us over time in order to reorder our desires and loves. And I know that a couple of weeks ago I joked around about hot chocolate, Abuelita. If you, if you don't know Abuelita, then you're missing out. But that's kind of a, a lighter th- topic, right? But let's get into a, a little bit a more heavier topic. Why is that someone's temptation is geared towards adult content while someone else is gossip? Why do we struggle with shame while others struggle with anger maybe some of us are able to pinpoint a time in our lives maybe maybe just maybe a life event like a trauma or a displacement or a wound many of us cannot point out a life event or a trauma that explains the loves and the desires and behaviors we cannot point a particular thing in particular and so we turn again to scripture for wisdom. And because we want to receive these answers, we want to be people who follow Jesus. Amen. With our whole lives, with our whole desires, with our instinctual being. As I wake up in the morning, instinctually, I am seeking the Lord. We want to, with our whole lives, to belong to God and to live the vision that ultimately Jesus has for us. But before we go ahead to our main story, I think that we need to go a little bit back to a biblical theology. And so the first passage that I want to take us this morning is found in Exodus chapter 34. Go with me to Exodus chapter 34. And we're going to look at verse 6, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. And we read the story when God is passing in front of Moses and is declaring who he is. He is essentially sharing the character, his character to Moses. And verse 6 reads this way. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, the gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiven wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. The last part, you might be scratching your head. And, and What did I just read? Does the Bible teach that God will punish the grandkids for the sins of the grandparents? What I believe is happening here is what theologians call passive judgment. Passive judgment, where God is not necessarily actively causing the discipline or the punishment, but instead recognizes that sin plays out a course to the third and fourth generations of the families. For example, a case study for us would paint a picture of King David. We look at the story of King David, and he took a wife of another man. And then he essentially killed the husband and his wo- of, of this woman, And this is not okay, of course, in the ethics of the kingdom. So God pronounces a judgment, but notice the language, notice the language. Second Samuel chapter twelve. Second Samuel chapter twelve verse ten. It says Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despise me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite, to be your own. The sword that will never be departed from David's family was not one of God's active judgments, but the consequence of sin's pushing. Later in his life, David's family is a terrible and painful mess, an awful case study of the damage That sin does, because let's be real, church family, for a moment here this morning. Sin has a way of affecting us. Sin has a way of creeping us, creeping around us. And not just affecting us, but if we're being truly honest, sin also affects those that are around us. And so then, we see that there was incest, we see that there's rape, and his son Absalom overthrows David's throne. We all know the story, he's running away, and Absalom execution, and David's heartache. Did God cause all these violence interactions within the family tree? Not at all. Were they they consequences of David's actions? Yes. So sin is what punishes. Sin is what deals an unforgiven blow to your life. You may not know it clearly, But sin has had an effect on your family, on your dad, on your mom, on your grandparents, and even to you. By the way of analogy, and to illustrate this, think about an onion. And whenever you think uh, you start to peel the onion, if it doesn't make you cry first, The skin is the membrane on the layer. And the more you peel, the more you find another layer. Right? Each layer has a skin and the membrane that wraps around the actual layer. The very center does not have a name since it's just a younger leaf that's growing out of the basal disc. What looks like a regular onion, a regular old onion, It actually has multiple layers. This is also true of you. There are layers to you, and much of why we do certain behaviors or, or love certain habits and practices is because of our family of origin. Yes, we have accepted Jesus in our hearts, many of us. We may have come to God in faith and accepted the beauty of His character and the plan for our lives in the renewal of this world, and we have actually experienced a life before and after giving our lives to Jesus. But what I have seen, if we're being truly honest with ourselves this morning, what I have seen in my own life, And what I have seen in the lives of many people in the church is that we often struggle privately with mental and physical health problems that are the result of early onset life abuse, neglect, or household dysfunction. Historically, there has been a lot of shame around mental illness and reluctance to seek help in dealing with it. Less than a week ago, over there in Keene, a young man was lost to mental health. It was so painful to see that. There's things in life that we are uncomfortable with, and we prefer not to talk about it. Many people feel responsible for and feel guilty about their dysregulated emotions without realizing that they have the roots in early childhood trauma or dysfunction. Many people suffer privately with the shame and guilt due to their failures, and through the, there is a point of acceptance of God into their hearts. There's a continual battle that comes after baptism." We need to realize that just because I gave my heart to Jesus, just because I was baptized, doesn't mean that I am not going to face any more battles. Doesn't mean that everything is going to be tidy, that everything's going to be goody-goody. We have to realize that we live in a world that is full of sin. We need to realize that there's real battles of the heart that are real, that are happening all around us and in more ways than one those habits and those tendencies and behaviors often have less to do with your profession of faith in God and more to do with the family of origin the decisions that were made before you came into the world in the environment and the home you grew up in these are the realities So, as you hear me and you think, my family is definitely broken. You might say, my family is so far from the ideal, happy family. It might seem that it's a facade. I show up here to church with my nice suit, with my nice dress. I look so nice from the outside. But pastor, 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 if you only knew... If you, if you only knew what was my house really like. If you only knew if you... If I, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. I am there with you. But so is the majority of the characters in the Bible. We read this book. We read this book and we see in the top of our books it says, Holy Bible. But... For being a holy book is filled with unholy people with a less than holy decisions and patterns. I want us to visit one story in particular that shows us the brokenness in a specific family and how we can move forward towards healing. Because I think that Jesus wants to do something fabulous in our lives. And the only way that he can do that is through the process of healing. And so we have the story of Abraham. Most of us are familiar. The father of faith. Abraham, who is often looked as a faithful figure. But many of us don't talk about The brokenness. Don't talk about the heartache that Abraham encountered. We don't talk about how he went ahead and got his wife's servant pregnant. We don't talk about the fact that the kid was born and later on was sent off to the desert with the mother on their own without any belongings, without any food, without anything just to fend for themselves. How dare a prophet, a person of faith, do that to a woman? We don't talk about that. And of course, the sexual sin, the family tree that tore the family apart. But that's not what I want to bring our attention to this morning. As the saying goes, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Abraham lied twice about his relationship with Sarah in order to protect his life, nonetheless. But then Isaac does the identical thing. He lies about his wife in order to keep his life. And by the time we get to Jacob, by the time we get to Jacob, not only his name is a deceiver, but we saw him that he impersonates his older brother and steals the blessing. This is is a story that is worth unpacking. Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, finds himself living a life of deception by himself in a story where we find that his dad is actually aging. He's He's growing blind. He's not able to see very well. And so... The time comes when Isaac is getting ready to pass this blessing over. This family blessing. But Jacob and his mother, Rebecca, make a plan to interrupt this transfer of authority and have Jacob receive it. For the sake of time, we're not going to go and read the entire scripture again. Rob did a great job reading that. But I think it's worth pointing out a particular verse. Come with me to verse 11. To verse 11. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man. While I have smooth skin, what if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him And would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. And here's where I want us to land this morning. Verse 13. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say and go get them for me. Let my son, let the curse fall on me. First, in modern Western uh, mentality, I think we don't grasp the weight of the blessing. It's lost on us because it's not something that we're accustomed to do. But in the ancient world, Blessings were sacred words intended to seal the destiny of the recipients. Think about it like a combination of a will and a a testament directed towards the heir of the state with a relational power of a wedding vow where you speak your destiny into reality. Second, though Jacob would later steal the the father's blessing from Esau and become the heir of God's plan for his people, his deception did not come without consequences. Through his mother promise to receive any of the curses that came her way, it was Jacob who later in life would live out the thorn and the thrizzles. Just very quickly, we see in, in that very same chapter, Genesis 27, he flees from his brother, of course, but he's now he's trying to hunt him down to kill him. Later on, he works seven years to marry Rachel just to be cheated. Later on, He has two wives with conflict and jealousy with one another. And of course, in a contextual way, we see that we have to take into context the part that he had two wives, the biblical context, the ancient culture. That's not something that God would allow, that God permits. He flees from the father-in-law because of his dishonesty. So we see these patterns. We see this ripple effect taking place over and over and to make matters worse, the sins of the grandparents and the parents continue to Joseph. How many sons did Jacob have? 12. Of those 12, his favorite son was Joseph. And we see that that his son is sold into slavery by his brothers. And what, is, what do the brothers do when they sell him to, to those Midianites and they go into Egypt? They cover it up. They lie. They cover it up with lies over 20 years. The life of Joseph somehow is innocent in the grand scheme of things is shaped by the sins of the parents and the sins of the brothers to no fault of his own. The truth is that whether sin was done to our family through trauma or by them as victimizers, we are often shaped and formed by those experiences. This is not always the case, but we would not be surprised if it's true as well, households that have kept a secret for such a long, long time. What about if the secret gets out? What about if people know the habits from the hearts are often born from our family of origin and our family tree? It is hard to escape the reality that we are shaped by the loves and the sins and the traumas of our families. And I don't mean only that we, we look alike. Some people sometimes joke around with, with myself and my dad because he, he, he says, well, you're older brother. and <laughs> I, 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 That's not exactly what I mean. You know, Some people would say, oh, you, you look like your mom. But is it possible that we have similar fears? Is it, is, is it, is it possible that we have similar uh, reactions to stress Is it possible that we have similar temptations? Is it possible that there are certain pet peeves that we don't like, but also maybe our mom or our dad didn't like, and we do the same? Is it possible? As the saying goes, like father, like son, like mother, like daughter. It's possible that you are carrying the wounds of your parents' divorce into your marriage. The skepticism the skepti- the and the lack of trust for others is projected onto the significant others, leading you to questions of inter- integrity to your spouse. You are a branch of a much larger t- tree. Is it possible that maybe you erase into creating perfectionism? Everything has to be perfect in order for me to feel valued. In order for me to feel that I am worth it. If I don't, de- if I don't do this right, if I don't get this right, if I am not perfect in this one thing, then maybe I don't deserve to be loved. Maybe I don't deserve to receive this affection. And so I do it. I do these things in order to earn appreciation, in order to earn love. Remember, you are a branch of a much larger tree. Is it possible that your body is still carrying the trauma of the abuse that was done to you, to your mother, or to you, and you live in a type of survival mode, suppressing the memories of the past. You are a branch of a much larger tree. Or just maybe, just maybe, the face and ebb and flow, more of mel- melancholy or a low-grade uh, depression that comes to you, and you're like, man, what's wrong with me? Why, why am I depressed? I should be, I should be happy. This low, this low-grade depression. You know what I'm talking about. You may feel less with your own decisions, and you may be related to a home environment that you grew up in, in the way that you were spoken to as a child and the traumas that your family faced while you were still in the womb. You are a branch of a much larger tree. And maybe your tendency towards anger is, it has less to do with your co-worker or more to do with the environment of your co-worker and more to do with the environment and the rage at home. So you only learn that the only way to deal with problems was to get mad, to get upset. Because no one took the time to teach you. No one took the time to to help you learn and understand that there's better ways to deal with anger. You are a branch of a much larger tree. Yes, it is true that we choose our destinies. But if we don't face our past, then the past itself. Will shape them. Later in the unfolding of this family tree, we have Joseph who is grown into this Prince of Egypt. And I know many of us have seen that movie, that Disney movie, Prince of Egypt. But through all those years, estranged from his brothers, when he had the opportunity to face the past, he did. Look what Genesis chapter 45 says. Genesis chapter 45, verses 1. Genesis 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, have everyone come out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brother's he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Wow. This is just like, it's playing just like a movie scene. Literally, just like a movie scene. We see Joseph, the recipient of wound after wound, of lies, of deception, of heartache, of pain, of suffering. By his brothers. He was betrayed by his own blood, by his brothers. The ones whose life was shaped by lies through, he is not recorded lying himself. He is the one who does the hard work of healing. He is the one who does the hard work of healing. Through the heartbreak and the tears, he faces the past to write a different future in his story. He says, wait, I don't want to continue this cycle of dysfunction Wait, I want to do the hard work of helping my family be better. And I don't know about you, but my instinct when it comes to healing from my own decisions or emotions or that of my family is not to do what Joseph did. Even though there is a little bit of me that wants the other side of healing, maybe you think, of what has been done to you. Or how your, hum, your home environment continues to influence you in your adult life. <laughs> Maybe when you think of these things, you are like, nope. I'm not going there. For many of us, when we were gathering in our family uh, Thanksgiving... Maybe there was a comment that was said, and you thinking, "Well, that wasn't a necessary comment." <laughs> maybe something was triggered. Maybe a comment, maybe a misunderstanding, and you bury it. And I'm not going to. And you and you say to yourself, "Well, I'm going to save this for later, even if that takes decades decades away." You and I both know that emotions and memories don't vanish. We can suppress it as much as we want. We can ignore it as much as we want. We can flee away as much as we want. But I know that sooner or later, those things will affect us because those things shape us into who we are. Remember You are just a branch of a larger tree. And I know that not everyone here this morning is in a place where they can face those memories, those traumas, those stories, those life events. For many of you, it would be best to work out these things with God and with a Christian counselor slowly over time. But for those who are in a place where they want to face those things, There's a helpful exercise that I highly recommend, and it's a family diagram, and if you want to know more about it, just come and talk to me. I I will talk to you. I have done it myself, and I can tell you that it has been really, really helpful into knowing myself and knowing who I am and what I'm all about, so... Here this morning, I don't talk to you like someone who has it all together. I don't talk to you and I'm not standing in front of you like someone who is perfect and has has everything in order. I don't talk to you about a family that is not broken, that doesn't have generational patterns and the need for healing from a place. Oh, look at that little tight. Look at that tidy, perfect family far from it. But I believe that if we want to flourish and heal and develop into the rhythm and to the practice of the heart that shape us to becoming happier people then we must face the past. Jesus wants to do something remarkable in our lives. Right now you're thinking I want to heal But if you knew my story, I want to heal. But if you only knew what I had done, I want to heal. But if you search the history and knew my reputation, if you knew what I had done, what my parents were like, I hear you, I hear you. But in Christ, you are able to break free from the power of the past and partner with God in rewriting a new story for your life and for your family. I hardly, so heartily believe that. John Mark Homer, he writes and he says, What is true of your family does not have to be true of you. Lastly, your heart may have habits and behaviors that know that that you know that are not healthy. And you and I both know we can't will our way into change. You have, may have tried help, self-help tactics, but we all know that that takes time and it takes work. So also, the another truth is we cannot do it alone. Because when we try to do it alone, sometimes we dig deeper holes for ourselves and we try to get out and we try a few self-help tactics only to recognize that These deeply formed tendencies are strongholds in our lives. But you know what is the marvelous story? How the story in scripture ends? It ends there in Genesis chapter 45. Where it says, and the Lord was with Joseph. Through the highs, through the lows through the deception, through the suffering, the Lord was with Joseph. And you know what? Jesus is the better Joseph. And he wants to do something so spectacular, so remarkable in our lives. Only if we let him. And so as we enter into rhythm, into practice, into our habits, into our rituals, into the things that we pay attention to, into the people that we are becoming, I think it is important for us to also look into the past, to contemplate and to see the struggles and the things that have happened in the past in order for us to heal and to seek healing and wholeness. And so just for a few moments, just for a few moments, before we sing our final song, as we sing the music, as we hear the music, let's just pause, slow down, and reflect and contemplate about the past and find ways in which we can seek towards healing and wholeness. So just for a few minutes, we'll pause and allowed you to think and slow down. And then after that, we'll sing our final song. Our Father in heaven, we are coming to you this morning. We want, Lord, to turn into the past in order to seek healing and wholeness. Lord, we want to live the vision that you have for us, a, a vision of flourishing. And so, Lord, help us to do what is needed to live in such a holistic way. Our physical health, our mental health, as well as our spiritual health. We love you so much. Be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.